Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, it is the last weekend here before Christmas, and we're going to continue our Christmas series called Unto Us. Let me ask you a question to get started. How many of you just love the government? Let me see your hands. You just love the government. Yeah, typically that, that matches with the polling data that we've seen recently uh, with the approval rating of our government. So uh, currently, and th- there's different polls that are updated actually every day, and so I ch- the last time I checked was on Friday. So the current presidential approval rating is 40%, which means that only four out of 10 Americans approve of the job the president is currently doing. Now, the stat that really made the news, now I'm not getting political, you'll see why. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you why. So as of Friday, the president's approval number was 40%. So we go back four years to the end of the first term of the previous president. Guess what his approval number was? 40%. Exact same number as the current president. So no matter what you think about the previous president or the current president, pretty much it all is a wash. Everybody thinks the same. They don't really like them that much, right? Maybe not even not, not on a personal level, but on a political level, doing your job well, not a huge approval rating. Um, also, you think, you think that number is low, which I think that number is pretty low. But here's what made the news is that people that uh, strongly approve and strongly disapprove was even more spaced out than that. So the number of people in the survey from Friday that strongly disapproved of the president's performance was 48%. So that means nearly half of Americans strongly disapprove of the, of the president's job performance. Those that strongly approve were 20%. So it was 28% underwater in that category. You think that number's bad? Let's just spread it out. What, what do you think is the congressional approval rating, the approval rating of Congress? Cut the president's number in half, and you're pretty close, 21%. That means that only one out of five Americans currently approve of the job that the Congress is doing. Not that great. What if I were to tell you, though, that there was such a thing as a perfect government? What if I were to tell you there was such a person as the perfect leader of the perfect government? That would be awesome. 100% approval rating at all times. No, no second-guessing the decision-making, no wondering what's happening behind closed doors, no wondering, you know, if they're corrupt, if they're on the level, none of that. What if I told you that that person in that, in that government already existed? Let's look, at, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We've been here every week. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah here writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
So today in week four of our series, Unto Us, looking at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, we're looking at the king of Christmas. The perfect leader over the perfect government already exists. So we've been looking at these different uh, categories or different descriptions of who would become Jesus 700 years after Isaiah gave this prophecy. And and today we're going to look at this idea of the government. And the key phrase I'm going to focus on is in that verse 6. It says, the government will be on his shoulders. The perfect leader in charge of the perfect government already exists. So if the government is on his shoulders, that would be Jesus, the king, then what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is that it's not on our shoulders. Not my government, not my shoulders. It's that sort of idea. Now, that's, that's something that we have to sort of, in America, get used to because we live in a democratic republic where everyone has a vote and they vote for people to represent them to run the government. So that is not how this particular government from Isaiah 9 works at all. And I, I love the style of governance that we have. I think it's great that everyone has a say and everyone has a vote and, you know, whatever you think about voting systems or voting laws, everyone has a vote and we elect the people to represent us. And whether or not we approve of the job they do, we don't. We've already established that we don't. Uh, but that, that's, that's how this thing works. But sometimes having and living under that sort of government can be a barrier to our way of thinking spiritually. Because again, this government is not a uh, democratic republic it's a kingdom, and the kingdom has a monarch. So in, the, in this kingdom where Jesus reigns, I don't get a vote. You don't get a vote. I don't get a say in how it's run or what we do or what Jesus does. You don't get a say in what he does or what he doesn't do or how he does or doesn't do what he does or doesn't do. That's not how this thing works. God has a kingdom. Jesus is king He is in charge, and he has all authority. That's how this kingdom works. The government is on his shoulders. Now, when you look at that idea historically, that can possibly be a scary proposition because there's this phrase, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's this idea in the the famous books and movies, The Lord of the Rings. That's the whole plot of this series is there's this one ring that has all the power and it's, you know, it's one ring to unite them, one ring to rule them all, that sort of thing. This one ring has all the power in the universe over all the creatures in the world to unite them. The problem, and that sounds great, right? The problem is every time someone else comes in possession of this ring of power, it corrupts them. It blinds them to reality and truth. It blinds them with power It corrupts everything about them. It all becomes about them and the power they can wield, typically for non-good purposes. And so in the end, the ring has to be destroyed. Spoiler alert. uh, The ring has to be destroyed so that all of mankind and all all the creatures in the world aren't destroyed by whoever is wearing the ring at the time. Even the most, you know, noble person, when they put that ring on, something inside of them changes. Something overtakes them. Something clouds their mind, corrupts their thinking, and that's the issue. So power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we talk about the government is on one person's shoulders and their shoulders alone. That can be a scary proposition. And we know from history that to be the case. You look at some of the leaders that had the most power, not good guys. So you have, obviously, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Mao, others like them, Castro in Cuba. They have all the power, 
and it doesn't go well. So that's a scary proposition to think about. And here's what it comes down to. The kind of leader at the top affects everything else underneath them. The kind of person that they are, the kind of values that they have, the kind of fortitude, internal fortitude they have to lead the right way, even with all of the power, is so key. Who the person at the top is, is everything. John Adams famously once said, when legislature is corrupted, the people are undone. It's very true. The kind of leader at the top affects everything else underneath. So as we talk about the king of Christmas, we have to ask a few questions. So the first question is, what kind of leader is this king? How is he going to lead? Let's look at this again, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, here's the kind of king we have, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So those first three uh, descriptions of this king, we've discussed the last couple of weeks. Now the prince of peace, that's what we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve. We'll talk about the peace that Jesus brings at Christmas. So that's Christmas Eve. But the other three we've already talked about. Let's look at them again just for a second. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. That describes the kind of king that is ruling this kingdom. So wonderful counselor, this king is wise. He will make the right decision every time. He will help to help us make the right decision if we listen to his wisdom. This king is a mighty God. He is strong. He is powerful. He has all authority and all dominion. And he's everlasting father, which means he is caring. So a wise, strong, and caring leader. What a combination that is. There is no human leader at the very tippy-tippy top that will fit that description at all times, but the king of Christmas fits those at all times, all the time, without fail. He is strong, caring, and wise. That's the king that we serve. That's the kind of leader that this king over his kingdom is. But then you have to wonder, okay, if the king is that way, is the kingdom going to work that way? So we know the type of king we have, but what's the nature then of this kingdom? What does it look like when that leader leads in that way? What will the kingdom be like? Will it be like the king or will it not? So um, let's see. Let's look here. Yeah, there's, let's look back at, at verse 7 of Isaiah 9 that we started out with and look at this part here. So it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Here's the, ver here's the section I want to look at here for a minute establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. So that's the nature of the kingdom, that this kingdom is full of justice and righteousness that flows from the king over the kingdom. It's a kingdom of justice and righteousness. So this is something that, again, as the people read this prophecy 700 years before Christ, they like, yes, that's the kind of leader I want. That's the kind of king I will follow. That's the kind of king I will serve. That's the kind of king that I will devote my allegiance to, full of justice and righteousness. And as we talked about last week, the people reading this, they see God in this way. So they have an understanding of what this may look like. Let's look at a few verses here just quickly. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. First of all, did you know that Dwayne Johnson is in the Bible? <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. 
He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Justice and righteousness. Psalm 11, verse 7. For the righteous Lord loves justice. Both of those there again together. The virtuous will see his face. Psalm 146, verses 6 through 8. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. Can you imagine a politician doing that? No, you cannot. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. So this king over this kingdom is full of justice and righteousness, and that reigns in his kingdom. This king has no favorites. This king can't be bribed. This king keeps every promise he ever makes, and he never makes an error or a mistake. And this promised king is also full of justice and righteousness. We see similar language that we've already seen and very similar to Isaiah in the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom, and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. So justice and righteousness, talk, that's what, who the king is, and that's what happens within his kingdom. There's another section there in that middle part of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 I want to focus on. So it says, he will establish and uphold his kingdom with righteousness and justice. Now, when you look at earthly governments, most, if not all of them, are established in justice and righteousness. Or at least they have the appearance of being established with justice and righteousness. The problem is, they are not usually upheld over time for the long run in justice and righteousness. An obvious example or two examples of that. So in the 1940s, Mao Zedong led a revolution against a corrupt Chinese government. People backed him and then he became the guy, the chairman, right? Same thing in the 50s in Cuba. Fidel Castro led a people's revolution to overthrow a corrupt government in Cuba. And then he became the government in Cuba. So they both are established, at least with the appearance of righteousness and justice. These people are not being just and righteous, so we're going to overthrow them and set up our own government of justice and righteousness. But if you know anything about history, you know that that was not upheld. Because what both of these men did is they eventually became the very people they tried to overthrow. If either of these men were not them, 15, 20 years later, they would have tried to overthrow themselves. So the issue is, again, with this absolute power corrupting absolutely in human terms, is that yes, a, a kingdom or a government may be established in justice and righteousness, but it is never upheld to the same degree of justice and righteousness. But this kingdom from Isaiah chapter 9, this King Jesus, the King of Christmas, he establishes and upholds his kingdom in justice and and righteousness. And he says, from this time on and forever. So he's not going to drop the ball. The power is not going to get to his head. He's not going to break his promises. He's not going to forget what he was here to do to rule his kingdom. He's not going to be confused about what's the best way to govern and lead. He, he's, remember, he's wise and strong and caring at all times. That's who the king of Christmas is. That's what differentiates this leader from any other leader. 
That's what separates this king from all other kings in any other kingdom in any other time period on the planet. So that's, that's the character of the king and the nature of the kingdom. Um, but then here's a question. Then if we are then subjects in this kingdom, what's our role in the kingdom? What's expected of us? What does the king want his people to do? And the answer is very simple because it's very similar to what the king does. The king wants us to be like him and be people of justice and righteousness. That's the expectation for the subjects in this kingdom. A few more verses here, some Old and some New Testament. So the prophet Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. He's talking to his people. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, a very similar prophecy from another Old Testament prophet. Micah says, God speaking here, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Very simple. What does the king want us to do? What's our expectation? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The expectation of us, as if we are subjects in this kingdom, is to be like the king to be people of justice and righteousness, to the marginalized, to the disaffected, to the disenfranchised, to those that are unlike us, that don't look like us, or talk like us, or think like us, or live like us. That's the goal. That's the, that's the call of the subjects of this kingdom, is to be full of justice and righteousness. And it's not just Old Testament prophets. The king himself, Jesus, says these words in Luke eleven forty two. 42. He says, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees who are the leaders of the Jewish people? They should know what is expected of them, yet they're failing miserably in this regard. Here's what Jesus says. You are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, let me say that part again. You should tithe, yes, let me say it one more time. You should, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, right? So, again, their focus is on, I do all the religious stuff really well. I worship the right way. I give the right amount. I have the right posture. Like when I'm, I'm doing the things at church, I'm looking over, and I look more holy than them because I got the posture down. I'm raising my hands higher than they are because my antenna can reach to God, and I get better reception in my 5G spiritual experience. But... I'm a terrible neighbor. You don't want to even hear what I say to people in traffic. Right? You don't, if you knew what I said in, in private about other people, I would be ashamed, you would be ashamed, we'd all be ashamed. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's not just these outward religious things that he wants us to nail down. Yes, do those things, but it's about justice and righteousness every single day. It's not just, can I check off the spiritual thing on the chore chart to get the gold star and put it on the fridge of my heart, but can my everyday experience be what it should be, what the king requires, justice and righteousness? So he is the example that we are to follow, and we attempt to live these things out, okay? Again, this is not meant to be a guilt trip. So we are not the king. So we are not always wise and caring and strong all the time. We will fail. We will falter. We all have those areas of weakness that we need the king to illuminate more in our hearts. No, no, I, this, I want you to be more like me. 
Don't worry about how holy they are or how much they give or how much you give or how much you serve or what you do. Those are great, but I want, you to be, I want your character to resemble the character of the king. That's what Jesus is looking for. So we've seen here that the nature of the king, the nature of the kingdom, and what we, if we're in the kingdom, what's expected of the subjects in the kingdom. But there's only one problem that I want to close with today. The problem is the kind of government that Isaiah talks about the type of kingdom that Jesus preaches about doesn't seem to exist anywhere on this earth. Like when you look around, you're like, okay, justice and righteousness. All I see on the news is injustice. All I read about online is unrighteousness. All I see around me is injustice and unrighteousness. So you're talking about this kingdom that doesn't seem to exist This doesn't seem like it's a thing that is here. Did we miss it? Was it like a past tense thing? Was it an old, was it a Bible time thing? Or is it a thing that's only in the future? Like what what is the deal? Why is the world so full of injustice and unrighteousness if this is the kingdom that the king is ruling over? What gives? So the answer to this question is found in the fact that yes, Isaiah is pointing in Isaiah chapter 9 to Jesus who is 700 years before him. So yes, the king came in a manger 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. And yes, he walked on the earth for 30 or so years. But then the prophecy is also still, to this day, still looking forward. So here's here's what I mean by that. This is John 18, 36. So when Jesus is on trial for his life before Pilate, who is the, the Roman authority in that region of the world, he's, he's kind of the last, the last guy that Jesus talks to. He has the final say on whether he's going to allow this man to be crucified. And so the issue that Jesus has brought to Pilate is because he's claiming to be a king. So the reason that Pilate is involved as a Roman official is, well, no, Caesar, my boss, is the only king. He is the king of kings. That's his title. That's who he is. And if this guy starting stirring up trouble, saying he's a king, now I've got a problem. So Pilate, in his interrogation, asks him, well, are you a king? They say you're the king of the Jews, or you claim to be the, are you the king of the Jews? And here's what Jesus says, Luke 18, or John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. That was a big disconnect with the people and Jesus in his own day. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about the king and the kingdom and God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he told stories over and over and over. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like this. He wanted to get them to understand it's so important. But yet they're like looking around at Jesus. Okay, where's your army that you're going to overthrow the Romans with? Where's your crown? That, where's your scepter? Where's your cabinet that's going to give you wisdom on how to rule? Like, David's throne is over there. Why aren't you sitting on it if you're really the king? And so they didn't understand, and even Pilate here doesn't understand, even though Jesus tells him, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Israel was looking for that earthly king to set up an earthly kingdom. Israel to be once again a mighty power, a powerhouse in the world at that time. But it was bigger than that. It was cosmic. It was eternal. It was spiritual in nature. And so we go back to the Lord's Prayer and we we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray that way. We want to pray for justice and righteousness to reign on the earth, 
knowing in the back of our mind it will never work the way it was designed to work in the here and now. So Isaiah's prophecy is still, again, to this day, pointing to a future time and place, a future event that even now has not happened yet. This is what's tricky. Jesus is currently king right now over everything, over everyone, even if they don't pledge allegiance to him. doesn't matter. He's still in the jurisdiction over everything. So he is ruling and reigning in that way with justice and righteousness. He is full of those things. He is in complete control, and yet we don't see that. That's where the disconnect is for us. But here's what Isaiah is looking at, I think, is, is near the whole end of the Bible here. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. John has this vision of Jesus and of heaven in the future. Here's what he says. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Ultimately, whether Isaiah realized it or not, that is what he's talking about. Now, he is pointing to Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem that we celebrate at Christmas, yes. But there's two layers to that prophecy. There's two parts of it. One we have now seen way in the past. One we have not seen that may be way in the future, maybe tomorrow, right? This may be the reality before Christmas hits, and I hope that's the case. Because here's the thing. Before anything existed, there was a king. Before Genesis 1, right, in the beginning God, John chapter 1, we looked at it last week, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is there at the beginning before anything was made. So before anything was created, the king was ruling over everything, even the nothing that was everything at the time. So that was true. Christmas is the inauguration of the kingdom. It's sort of a little taste of what the kingdom will be like. Looking at all Jesus said and did, how he lived, all the things about him, all of his teachings about the kingdom inaugurate the kingdom in, in a little, in a taste, in a way. But then what we will see at some point is one day we will celebrate the king in his kingdom. The full and final reality of this kingdom that we've only seen in types and shadows and gotten a little bit of a preview of here on earth, it's going to be unveiled completely and fully and finally. And so now, while we live under the reign of the king, we eagerly await the return of the king of Christmas. We eagerly anticipate that time that we just talked about. No tears, no sorrow, no sadness, no sin, no backstabbing, no gossiping, no problems, no nothing, no issues, right? No murder, no theft, none of the issues that we have on this planet. It'll be complete justice and righteousness. So I don't know about you, but I can get pretty excited about the thought of that. When I look at all the stuff around us in the world and all of the ills and all of the problems and all of the, the things and the issues and the fighting and, and uh, the, the, the sickness and all of those things, I, when I think about a time where that will not be a reality anymore, that's amazing. So I look forward to the king returning. I look forward to the full and final reality of the king in his kingdom. There's no more barrier. There's no more, there's no more distance. We are in that place forever and ever and ever. So we celebrate this time of year, the king of Christmas. We celebrate his birth, his inauguration of his kingdom, and hopefully each and every day we try to live out the truths of the kingdom as best we can while we anticipate and await the powerful, mighty return 
of the King of Christmas.